God who does a new thing. I want some of you to come out of the mully grubs and expect God to do something new. Matter of fact, I've got a prophetic word. I really believe it's a prophetic word that God's about to do a new thing in many of your lives. Shall you not know it? So I might just preach you into a new thing. And that would be all right, wouldn't it? All right. Now, let's, uh, let's read Isaiah 43, 16 and 19. And Isaiah says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea. Now, what he's doing, he's recounting their deliverance from Egypt. Okay? He says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. You remember, God took them across the sea parted. He took them across as on dry land. And then when Pharaoh's army was chasing them, the waters closed in and buried them. And God destroyed their enemy. Now, amazing event, right? An amazing event. But look what he says after recounting this incredible miracle. He says, forget about it. Forget about what I just reminded you of. I want you to not dwell on it. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Now that'll preach right there. I want you to turn to the person left of you and say, forget the former things. Now turn to the right and say, don't dwell on the past. Now we could go home after that right there. Now, why did God say not to dwell on the past? He says, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I'm going to make a pathway through the wilderness. I'm going to create rivers in the dry wasteland. Father, thank you for doing a new thing in our life. Thank you, Lord God, that because of Jesus, there is a new thing. Move in our lives. Increase our faith. Enhance our vision. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, preach to your neighbor one more time. Say a new thing is coming your way. Now, this is one of my favorite passages. I really love it. I want you to notice that God's people are told two things in these passages. They are told first that they must forget some things. They're going to have to forget. It's a command forget about it. Forget some things. Then he says, you're going to have to look for some things. You can't look for some new things until you have forgotten some past things. Very, very important. Now let's talk about forgetting for a minute. He says, I want you to forget some things. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on what is behind you. Don't live life looking in the rearview mirror. I wrote a book about that. There's a reason the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. A real important reason the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. You don't drive your car looking through the rearview mirror, I hope. You won't last long. You've got to drive looking through the windshield 
And folks, life is that way. You cannot live life looking in the rearview mirror. You can't live life dwelling on your past. And God is telling them, I want you to forget some things. And, and, he, and he gives us polar opposites. He says, I want you to forget two things, good things and bad things. Now, I can understand the bad things, but why in the world would he tell us to forget good things? He says, after recounting their incredible deliverance from Egypt, unprecedented in world history, there's never been another thing like it, where a sea parted, and a million people walked across on dry land, and then the sea came in on the enemies chasing them, unprecedented in all the annals of history, never before, never again, incredible. But God says, now I don't want you to dwell on that. Even though I wonderfully delivered you, I want you to learn to forget about it. And I'm going to tell you why in a moment. You're going to understand it more in a moment. So forget the good things. And, and then also, they were to forget past failure. They were to forget their mistakes. They were to put them out of their mind. I don't want you dwelling on the mistakes you've made. Now, you need to know that Isaiah, in chapter 43 that we just read, is writing these very passages to a people that are about to be delivered after 70 years of captivity. They've been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And Isaiah knew that they were tempted, would be tempted, to dwell on their failures that got them there. And Isaiah says, don't do it. I don't want you dwelling on your failures. I mean... Yeah, you were in captivity 70 years because of your failures. You made big mistakes, chronic mistakes. Over and over again, you failed, fell, messed up, fell flat on your face. And I finally had a chase in you. But those days of chastening are coming to a close. So I want you to forget about the way you failed. Forget about past victories. Forget about past failures, good and bad. Good times and bad. I want you to forget about them. Now, let me tell you what this does not mean. It doesn't mean that they were to develop some kind of a spiritual amnesia. They were not to just go blank and say, well, I just, you know, I'm just going to give myself my own kind of shock therapy. I'm going to just forget about it all. Blank it out. That's not what he's saying. Nor is he saying, I don't want you to be unthankful for what I've done for you in the past. Well, then what is he saying? Well, the word forget that Isaiah uses is the same word Paul uses in Philippians 3.13, and, and the, the answer is in the word. Philippians 3.13-14, here's what Paul says. Listen to this. What an incredible statement. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting the past and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, he is saying there are times in life that if you're going to reach for the best, you have got to let go of the past. You've got to let go. You can't let the past haunt you, good or bad. You can't let the past 
haunt you, hinder you, bind you, hold you back. And boy, can the past do that. Oh, yeah. So the, the, the word for forget that, that Paul uses and that Isaiah uses, now it's a Hebrew and a Greek word, Hebrew, Old Testament, Greek, New Testament, but they're the same meaning. And here's what it means, to intentionally put something out of your mind. I choose to not think about that. Forget the former things, neither consider the things of old. The word consider means to continually call up something into your mind and think about it and mull over it and rehearse it and nurse it. You won't let it go. Forget the former things, neither consider, neither pull up. It's like a cow. When a cow eats grass, this is kind of gross, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, he swallows it later in the day, he brings it back up and chews it more. That's what meditation is. You read the Bible in the morning, it goes down into your spirit. Later in the day, boop, you bring it back up and you chew on it. I just ruined some of y'all's lunch. You were going to a restaurant. But, but here's the deal. With, with, with the past, we are so inclined to regurgitate it, regurgitate it, regurgitate it, bring it up, mull on it, think about it, and live back there looking in the rearview mirror instead of the great big windshield of your future, which in God is so bright, you need sunglasses to look at it. So it means Isaiah is saying to them, remember not the former things. Don't, don't, don't intentionally think about it, but I want you to forget. I want you to put it aside. Here's the deal. Now let's talk about the good things. Why would I want to put away good things? Why wouldn't I want to walk around remembering good things? When it comes to good things, here's the problem. Our tendency is to believe that the past was so good it can never be equaled. Remember that song? Those were the days, my friend. We thought they'd never end. We'd sing and dance. How many of you know that song? Because the rest of you are looking at me like, what? what are you talking about? It's an old song. It was talking about the good old days. Those were the days, my friend. Oh, and, and, here, and here's the spirit of that little line that those days were the best days, and no days are ever going to be as good as those days because those days were the good old days. And what you're forgetting is when you were back there in those good old days, you were griping and complaining then too. <laughs> See, the further we get from the past, the more we romanticize it and glamorize it and glorify it, and so Isaiah, by the Spirit of God, is commanding those people that are about to be released from captivity, commanding them, don't look back to when God took you through the sea and the water parted. Don't look back at that and say, that's the best it could ever be. Don't limit God by saying the best has already been, but instead say, the best is yet to be. The best is yet to be. Solomon warned about this. Solomon said, look, he said, do not say 
Why were the old days better than these? Why were the old days better than these? Don't say that, for it's not wise to ask that question. Why? Because when you say, why were the old days better than these? You're selling God short. You are not believing that God can do a new thing. And I came today to announce to you, whatever he did back then, he can do it again and then some. Here's what God is saying to these people. He's saying, you think those past deliverances were incredible? You think they were something? You haven't seen anything yet. Can I tell you, church, we haven't seen anything yet. I came stirred up today. I want you to know, I believe we're going to see God do some things we have never seen before. I really do. So he says, don't say that. Don't sell God short. Don't shortchange your faith by saying the best has already been. No, friends, the best is yet to be. As a matter of fact, that's so good, I want you to say it with me, can you? The best is yet to be. Now let your faith talk, and let's try it one more time. The best yet to be. Give God a hand of praise. I know it's true. I know it's true. <clears throat> now as to bad things, I can understand why he would tell them not to dwell on bad things. He said, don't dwell on those. And he says that to us as well. Don't dwell on your failures, your shortcomings, your mistakes, where you fell, where you messed up. Has anybody in here messed up since you got saved? Boy, I didn't even have to get the whole sentence out. <laughs> you know how badly Israel had failed? Israel had failed so badly. They were sent into captivity, and they lost absolutely everything. They lost their homeland. Can you imagine failing so bad God drove you out of your homeland? Everything familiar to you? Everything you'd always known since a child? They lost their homeland. They lost their possessions. They lost their respect. They lost their reputation. And they lost their freedom. You read the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, writing down what he's watching happen as God's people are dragged through the streets in chains, hauled off to a foreign land, a foreign language, a foreign people, where the Bible says they couldn't sing the Lord's song because they were in a strange land, uprooted, lost absolutely everything, Yet God is coming to them in Isaiah 43 at the very end of their captivity. And he is saying, I want you to forget about the past. And I want you to forget about the good. And I want you to forget about the bad. I want you to have a wide open faith for what I'm about to do. If you can get past your failure. Now let me say something about failure today. For, for the child of God, failure is very different from somebody in the world. For the child of God, who has Romans 8.28 for a promise, Romans 8.28 says, God is able to make all things work together for the good. That means even our failures, God is able to bring them and make them serve his ultimate purpose in our life. Even failure 
When we've got that kind of a promise, here's what I believe about failure. For the child of God, failure is neither fatal nor final unless you quit. It's not fatal. It's not final unless you quit. Say, Pastor Jeff, how can you say that? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, here's what he did. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, stretched out his arms, and they nailed him to that tree, and Jesus said, into thy hands I commit my spirit, and he gave up his spirit into the hands of God and died for you and me. Jesus made a way for a new beginning every time Jesus died so that we could have a new beginning. That's why he died. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and all has become new. And when you and I fail, it is absorbed by the blood of Jesus. Not that there's not consequences, there are. But because Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, God is working on our behalf. He's for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? And he always causes us leads us in triumph in Jesus Christ. So because of the cross of Christ, failure cannot be fatal nor final because on the cross, he defeated death, defeated hell, defeated the grave, and defeated sin. So thank God. For the child of God, there's another day. There's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Failure is only a temporary delay. It's not a final defeat. I like what William Ward said. He said, failure is a temporary detour, not a dead-end street. It's not the end. It's not your tombstone. It's your stepping stone because of the cross of Christ. Make every failure a stepping stone. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you when you fail, because you will fail intelligently. <laughs> fail forward. <laughs> fail forward. Yeah. Hear about falling forward? Fail forward. Well, how can I do that, Pastor Jeff? Learn from it. God's there to teach you. Learn from it. Don't let it destroy you. As a pastor, I've seen some people learn from their mistakes, and I've seen some people never recover from their mistakes. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they can't look in the mirror and say, self, I forgive you. Or they believe their failure is so great that God cannot forgive them. But I ask you a question. Is your failure so great that it's greater than the blood of Christ Jesus? No way. Bible's full of failures. Abraham was a liar. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness. <laughs> Paul was a persecutor of the church. Peter denied the Lord, yet every one of those men failed, yet they stood up, got out of the ash heap of failure, let God forgive them, and they moved on. Now, why is it so important? Why is God harping on this 
this whole issue of letting go of the past. What, why is he telling them, after 70 years of captivity, I want you to let go of the past. Remember now the former things. Neither consider the things of old. Forget about it. Don't focus on it. Because God's about to do a new thing. Now catch this. What is he saying? He's saying your past can keep you from seeing the new thing. Behold, I will do a new thing. Do you know what a new thing means in the Hebrew? It means new thing. <laughs> Let me add one word to it. Brand new thing. Who, who ever said Christianity is boring or God's boring? We serve a God who is endlessly creative, endlessly redemptive, endlessly merciful, endlessly compassionate, endlessly powerful. And he does a new thing, a brand new thing. He, he's literally telling them, I'm going to do something that has never been before. It's, it's going to be unprecedented. One commentator writes, something that has not heretofore occurred some unheard of and wonderful event that shall far surpass all that God had ever formerly done. So do you see what he's doing? He's saying, get your eyes off the rearview mirror, because if you're looking in the rearview mirror at either good things or bad things, you're not going to see what's in the windshield. Isaiah says there's a now factor to it. Now it shall spring forth. Isaiah presents a beautiful picture of how divine providence comes to pass. It shall spring up like the grass springs up from the earth or like a flower opens up in the springtime. I go up and down 35 too much. Somebody wasn't thinking when they built I-35. But I know I-35 very well. And you know what happened? Two days ago, I'm, I'm going home from here on I-35, and my eye was met on the right, right on the roadside, with a spray of purple and yellow flowers blowing in the wind. And I was very aware that just a couple of days before, they had not been there. They sprang up of a sudden. God says, that's the way it's going to be when I do a new thing. It's going to be barren, empty, drab, and then all of a sudden. Whew. Now, he says, he, he asks a haunting question, really. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to deliver you from Babylon. That's the new thing. I'm going to move on a king named Cyrus, and he is going to say, you're free to go home. You can go back home after 70 years. They had children that had never seen home. They had children that had never seen Jerusalem. They had a whole generation that had been born that had, knew, had no idea of where they had come from. They had been uprooted and moved, and now they are told they can return home. And God says, I'm going to make streams in the desert and roads in the wilderness to get you there. Nothing is going to stop me from getting you where I've called you to be. 
Now, here's the way I personalize it, that no matter how many great things God has done for you or me in the past, or no matter how painful your past might be, he's going to get you to your destination. He's going to do a new thing. Get your eyes off the rearview mirror. Get your eyes out of the past. Quit looking back. The past is past because it's past. But here comes the haunting question. After telling them all this, he says, shall you not know it? The word know means to perceive. Will you perceive what I'm doing? Are you going to notice those flowers that are coming up all around you? Are you going to see them? Because if you're looking in the rearview mirror, you're not going to see a thing. If I hadn't been looking through the windshield, I wouldn't have seen those flowers. He's saying, I want to know. He's wanting them to talk to themselves. It's a rhetorical question. He says, it's possible. Here's what God is saying. It's possible you won't perceive or recognize or be aware of what I'm doing. Let me just paraphrase that. You can miss God. You can miss something that God wants to do in your life. You can miss it all together by looking in the rearview mirror, by dwelling on past things, good or bad. Uh, see, he, he can bring somebody new into your life, but here's what you're doing. Oh, nothing can ever be like them back there. Hmm. Or he brings a brand new job opportunity, but you go, uh, you know, it'll never be like that back there. Or he brings you to a new church and you go, well, you know, the 80s is when God was moving. The 70s is when God was really doing things. Now it's kind of boring. Don't do that. Stop it. <laughs> we will either over-glorify past positives or overdwell on past negatives. I have a file cabinet in my mind. It's there, and there's lots of files in it, but there's three files I want to close telling you about. I go to these files all the time. Matter of fact, I couldn't move forward without these files. First one, first file is marked things I choose to forget. And I go there pretty regularly. Things I choose to forget. Why? Because I'm not going to let anything keep me from reaching, reaching, reaching for God's best. So I choose to forget. So something happens, somebody does something, somebody says something, or some event takes place, and I notice myself thinking about it too much. I say, okay, that's going into the file. And I put it in there, and I close the drawer. Here's the second one. Things I don't understand. It's marked. Things I don't understand. There's things I don't understand. And I'll never understand them until I get to the other side. And I always say, well, I'm going to ask Jesus first off about this, that, and the other. But I have a feeling that when I see Jesus, I'm going to be so busy worshiping him and casting my crowns at his feet, I'm going to forget my questions. But I tell myself, I'm going to ask him. But that's my second file. And when I don't understand something, rather than let it keep me back and slow me down and drag me down, I just put it in the file. And I say, I trust you with it, Jesus. I don't understand 
how this happened to me, how this happened to them, why this, why that. It's your universe. I trust you. And then the third file is a biggie. People I must let go. Now, let me tell you something, folks. There's three reasons somebody comes into your life. They come in for a reason. They come in for a season. Or they come in forever. The first two is most people. They come in for a reason. They come in for a season. I can count on one hand the number of people that are in my life forever, my family, a few others, but not many forevers stick around. But I've learned to let people go. You got to let some people go. You got to turn loose of them. This is for somebody I know right now. Some of you need to lay somebody down and walk away and let it go. Let it go. Their purpose in your life is over, so let it go and move on and reach. So those three files all the time, Lord, I place in your hands past events, good and bad. I put it in the file and I leave it with you. Lord, I place in your hands things I'm never going to understand in this life. I put it in the file and I leave it with you. Lord, I place in your hands people whose purpose in my life is apparently done, and I leave it with you so that I'm free to run. That's what he's saying to them. He's saying, people, you've been in captivity 70 years. I want you to forget about the successes. When I took you across the Red Sea, I'm going to do something even better. And then he says, and I want you to forget about the failures that got you here. It's time to quit focusing on what got you here. It's time to focus now on where you're going, not where you've been. And so they left. Now, here's the clincher. Here's, this drives me nuts. And I know how to drive God nuts. Of all those people, who were taken into captivity, tens of thousands of them. When this word came to them from Cyrus, you're free to go home, a tiny minority left. The majority chose to stay in bondage, chose to stay in a foreign land, chose not to take advantage of it, chose not to walk into their destiny, chose not to walk into their purpose. But the minority went and rebuilt the wall. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt their homes. They went back into the epicenter of God's will for them. But those who did not go, Babylon was judged soon after the release of these people from Israel. And those that had stayed were scattered throughout the entire earth until 1948. So, how many of you needed this today? I want to encourage you, stand up with me, would you? I want you to say with me, I believe that God does a new thing. Say it like you mean it, would you? Let's, let's, let's preach it to each other. I believe God is the God of a new thing. And I know he's going to do a new thing in many of your lives. A new thing.
a new thing. Shall it not spring? Will you not know it? Yeah, we're going to spot it. Let me pray for you. Can you lift your hands and say with me, Lord Jesus, I release anything in my past that's holding me back. People, places, things, failures. I forgive myself. I forgive others. Lord, I don't want the rear view mirror. I want the new thing. Now it shall spring forth. I will know it in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for this precious people today as their pastor. I know what it is, Lord, to get hung up in the past, but I also know what it is to have God do a brand new thing. And Lord, together as a church, I'm looking forward to new things happening that we've never seen before. God doing things we've never seen. Unprecedented. And Lord, I pray that everyone here today will be in a position to believe for and receive the next step, the next move, the new thing, the times of refreshing from the hands of God, new open doors, new open horizons, new relationships, new opportunities, new things a new breakthrough spiritually a level of spiritual walk they've never known a new thing that is my prayer Lord and if that's what you want lift your hands to the Lord and say Lord I receive this today I receive it today in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus Amen. Give him a hand of praise, can you? Thank you, Lord.